Our topic this week from the book of Genesis, chapter 20, Sarah gives birth. So we've been waiting for this for 25 years, or Abraham and Sarah were waiting for this for 25 years. We've been waiting, almost feels like 25 years, as we've been going through uh, chapter by chapter, uh, getting to this point, and the big anticipation of this big event that they've been, and probably longer than 25 years, just the biblical record gives us the 25 years up to this point, but no doubt they were married longer than that and hoping for this child and waiting for this child and praying for this child much longer than that. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And so we have here in this text, it says that God visited as he promised. God had visited them a, a year or so prior and said he was going to come back and visit. And when he comes back, they are going to have a child. And the Lord did for Sarah. So the Lord did something miraculous for Sarah. It wasn't just Sarah and Abraham coming together and having a child. The Lord did for her, beyond human ability. And thus she conceived and bore a child for him. Doesn't tell us much of the pregnancy. Other people, it tells us about their pregnancy, a difficult pregnancy or not a difficult pregnancy. Doesn't tell us much. Doesn't tell us really anything about Isaac, right? Sometimes it tells us, like with Jacob and Esau, uh, that they had red hair or were hairy or you know, various different descriptions of them. Doesn't give us any of that. We don't know how much he weighed. We don't know how long he is, how big he was, what color hair he has. Nothing about him. Uh, but, uh, but this description she conceived, and they gave him the name Isaac. And then in verse 4 it says, And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And Isaac means laughter, right? And so uh, she mentions that twice here. God has brought me laughter, and those who uh, hear about it will laugh with me as well. I don't know if she could imagine that uh, 3,500 or so years later, we'd be hearing this and, and laughing with, with her at the amazing work of God to bring this child to be at a woman who's 90 years old. And I'll tell you, I was 90 years old. I would not want to go through pregnancy and birthing, that's for sure. But, uh, but God miraculously took her through it and, uh, and delivered this child seemingly without problem, without, uh, you know, safely. doesn't say whether they were in a hospital or a midwife or what, right? But I'm sure, imagine it was a tent in the, in the desert uh, with, uh, with midwives there and others there. Um, mentioned being a C-section or anything like that, right? So we assume it was a, a good, safe healthy birth that took place. Uh, you know, sometimes we had with, uh, with uh, Benjamin being born, right? Uh, uh, Rachel died in, uh, in his birth. And so here, not only is it a miracle that she uh, conceived and was able to carry the child for nine months, but it's a miracle that she had a safe and 
uh, good delivery for both child and for mother. Miracles all around and uh, miracles abounding. And the laughter also goes back to a year prior when God visited them and said that she's going to have a child, that you're going to have a child, Abraham, through Sarah. And she's in the tent nearby, hears it, and laughs within herself. Not even outwardly, they're just kind of a laugh, not like this type of laughter. Here, this is probably an abounding laughter, a joyful laughter, but it seems that a year prior in the tent, in the inward laughter was more of a doubting, scoffing, I don't believe it laughter, that could never happen type laughter, because God calls her out on it and says, why are you, why are you laughing? And then she denies it. <laughs> no, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. He, he corrects her again, no, no, you did laugh. <laughs> And so now she's kind of admitting it. Yeah, it's all about laughter. We'll call him Isaac. It's all about laughter, right? It's all about joy that God has brought to this family. And so really a miraculous birth taking place, right? Uh, and Marisera is not mentioned a whole lot in the Bible, so we've seen a few verses already, uh, but not many. And uh, a few other times, we're going to look at two other times here in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1. You who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden." and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. And so we see in these verses here, he starts with, look to this rock, look to this hole, to this pit. Now, not like a rock, like a strong rock, like a strong fortress rock here. He's talking about a rock, a piece of, you know, laying in the dirt, just nothing but a rock, a, a heartless, brainless, lifeless rock. And you came out of, look to the rock, look to the hole, to the pit, where you came from, from nothing. You came from nothing. We are nothing from dust to dust. We're nothing. And then he gives the example. Look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. From a, a barren womb, from an empty womb, an eggless womb, look, at, look to her. Out of that pit, I did a miracle and brought forth the Jewish nation, Zion. For the Lord will comfort Zion. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. Right? From nothing, from barren, from wilderness to Eden. Her desert, again, desolate, desert, like the garden of the Lord. Right? Joy and gladness will be found in it. And that's what God does. That's what God's about. Taking us from our nothing state. That's what we are. We're nothing. We're nothing without the Lord. Right? We're here for a short a period of time. And then even of ourselves, we can do nothing of ourselves. Uh, we can't create in ourselves. We can't manifest in ourselves anything. Oh, we might think we can do some things, uh, but try and do them without the Lord. Right? Try and make yourself breathe when your lungs and your heart stopped. Right? Try and see if you've lost your eyesight. Right? Try and use your hands if you're born or lose the ability to use your arms, right? We don't have the ability in ourselves just to decide, I'm going to grow a finger back that I lost in, a, in an accident. I'm going to 
you know, just make, create a new body. We can't do that in of ourselves. Everything we do, from breath to death, right? Digesting food, everything, it's the power of the Lord. Right? Our stomach is still working while we're asleep. Our brain is still working while we're asleep. Our, our lungs are working while we're asleep. Even if we're in a coma. That's when we're consciously making, God does all that. God gives us life. And without him, we don't have life. We're out of nothing, from nothing. We come from nothing. But God does the miracle and makes something out of nothing. God makes us special. God makes us like the garden of the Lord. Out of the desert, out of a wilderness, out of nothingness. God makes us like Eden. God creates the good that comes from us. So it's not just building up from ourselves. It's not finding the good within. It's not uh, producing and, 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 and uh, encouraging the good that is within us. The Bible says there is no good within us. There is none good. No, not one. And every good deed that we have, all our righteousness is nothing but filthy, dirty rags. But as God, who touches Sarah and gives her the ability to have a child. It is God who touches the wilderness and makes it bloom like Eden. It's God who breathes into the desert and gives it life and joy and gladness. It's God the giver of life. God the giver of laughter. God who gives true joy. Right? We might think we have happiness. That's different than joy. Joy comes, inner joy, peace, comes from the Lord. Yeah. We try and find happiness in all these other ways, in material things, in people, and friends, and spouses, and children, and activities, and entertainment, and stuff, houses, and cars, and material things. All that without the Lord are empty and are here today and gone tomorrow. But it's God who gives us joy, where we can still have joy and still rejoice in the Lord and still have true gladness. Even when things are bad, even when things are tough, even when it seems like we have nothing, even it seems like when we've lost everything, even when we experience grief, even when we experience loss, and suffering, and difficulty, God is able to give us joy peace in the face of suffering. It's a miracle of God. We cannot manifest that. We cannot rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice while we're in a dungeon, sentenced to death unjustly without the power of the Lord. That's his doing. That's his ability. The ability to forgive others who've hurt us. Like mentioned here, a pit. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit. That he didn't turn from the Lord he didn't retaliate against those who threw him in. Continued to minister. That's the power of the Lord. That's the miracle of God. To continue to have hope when you have a promise and 25 years later the promise hasn't come to pass. And still waiting and waiting and waiting. That's faith. God gives miracle of faith. God gives the ability to hold on and to trust in him. It comes from him. It's not something that we manifest in ourselves. Faith cometh from God. God gave it to Sarah. God did the miracle in Sarah. And so God 
and reminds us here to look to Sarah. Look to that miracle. What is your needs? What is lacking in your life? What's the impossibles that are before you? Where, where did God, what has God promised and hasn't come to pass yet in your life? What are you needing? What are you really needing? Joy, gladness, peace, forgiveness, righteousness, hope, faith, whatever you're needing that God promised. Wait upon the Lord. Look to Sarah. It's there. He will come through. He will come through in his time. He will come through in miraculous ways. He will provide for all our needs according to his riches in glory. Look to him, whatever you're needing. Look to Sarah, he brought forth out of nothing. See, the miracle of Sarah, yeah, God does these miracles. I mean, a child out of nothing, out of an empty womb, impossible. But God did it. And so God parts Red Seas. God does miracles. But it's not in the big miracles. God doesn't often do these big miracles, these impossible miracles. But it's the other seemingly small impossible miracles of giving us the ability to forgive, giving us the ability to trust, giving us the ability to have faith, giving us the ability to hold on, giving us the ability to keep going amidst the troubles and difficulties and disappointments of life. Those are the real miracles. Those are the life-transforming miracles that take place on a day-to-day basis. And that's more meaningful and more powerful than Red Sea's parting. And that's what God wants to do in us each and every day. So he encourages us to look. Look to Sarah. Look to Abraham. Look to that miracle. And remember how God has worked in the past. And he'll help us in our present. Another text about Sarah is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And maybe that's why it took 25 years. Maybe that's why it took so long. God was waiting till she had faith to judge him faithful who had promised. Just a year prior, she was still doubting. Just a year prior, she was laughing in herself. And maybe it was God showing that he could read her thoughts. Maybe it was God showing that he knew her heart, that awakened her that this is real. This is the real deal. He is able. If he's able to read my heart and read my thoughts, then he is able to come through with that promise. Something gave her that spark of faith to take her that extra mile. Maybe it was being basically given over to Abimelech in that year between when the Lord visited her and the Lord, and she conceived, and seeing the Lord step in and stop Abimelech from from coming near her. Maybe that's what awakened the faith in her to where she gets to the point where she judged him faithful who had promised. Do we have the faith to believe that God is faithful? Have we judged him? Have we come to the conclusion? Have we looked at the evidence and determined God is faithful? What he says comes to pass. Billy doesn't have to take a lot of faith. If we just look outside and we see trees and we see birds, we see animals, we see flowers, it's all the handiwork of God. Even in cities like New York City, I've seen grass growing up through the blacktop. (laughs) 
It's going to make its way through. It's determined to live. That's a miracle of God, right? Just keep on keeping on. See the pigeons there in New York City? Life amidst nothing but concrete. Life still there. Rats, all kinds of living things. <laughs> Cockroaches, all kinds of life. Still living on in the midst of nothing. It's the handiwork of God that creates. That gives us these amazing symbiotic relationships of mammals breathing out oxygen, trees breathing in the oxygen, or breathing, in, or breathing out carbon dioxide, the plants breathing in the carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a good thing. <laughs> How about that? Who would have thought? And the plants breathe, breathe that in, and the plants breathe out the carbon dioxide, and breathe, breathe out oxygen, thank you, and, uh, and we breathe it in. It's absolutely amazing to see that cycle, the cycle of water, all these cycles. It's absolute miracle of God. God is faithful. God is consistent. God continues on. So we've seen him work in our lives as we see him work in other people's lives. As we hear of God's handiwork, we can judge. He is faithful. He does come through. In his timing, not in our timing. <laughs> we wanted it 25 years ago. In his timing, God brings it to pass. But he does come through. We can trust him. And as we trust him, it opens the doors for him to be able to do what he promised to do. He has promised, he's given, the Bible tells us, he's given everyone a measure of faith. That's a gift from God. It's not something that we have. He has given to us a measure of faith. And then he tells us if we need more faith, ask him and he will give us more. <laughs> so if we're needing faith to judge him faithful, we're needing faith to believe in his promises. If we're needing faith to believe that he will fulfill his work in our lives, we need faith to move forward in obedience to him. We need the strength and the power to move forward in obedience to his word. And ask for him to give us more faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Give me the ability to believe more. Give me the ability to judge you faithful so that he can fulfill his promises in our lives. That's also a cyclical situation. God promises, and then it's faith that ignites those promises and brings them to pass. Believe in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Only not on our own abilities, on our own understanding, what we think. But trust him. Acknowledge his promises, acknowledge his power. Believe in him. Put him first, not us. Acknowledge him as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the true creator, the one who is able to do all. And then he's able to bring it to pass. If we're trying to take the glory to ourselves, right? If Sarah, before she was barren, had the child, say, I brought forth a child. But this child had to come not from Sarah. Had to come from a miracle from God. That God gets the glory. Had to be way beyond childbearing age. So that God and God alone gets the glory. 
that it's a miracle from him. And when we get to that point and stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in our own abilities, but trust only and wholly in his ability, then he gets the glory and he gets the praise. And we rejoice and laugh and tell others of what he has done. And so, is this a true story? Is it possible for a woman at the age of 90, past the age of conceiving, to have a child? Everything is possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. But is it humanly possible for a woman? No, it's not. But it is possible with God. And if God was willing and able to do that kind of miraculous birth for Sarah, should it surprise us that God is able to do similar, miraculous, surprising things? It shouldn't. Yet this is so foundational. Abraham and Sarah is so foundational to our faith. So foundational, even society talks about Abraham Accords, and Abraham's a, a well-known name even among the secular and in the religious world, God brings it forth out of Abraham, out of Sarah, so that we will be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. There's a, another interesting text in Isaiah. We just read from Isaiah, talking about Sarah. Now, here's another text, Isaiah chapter 7, starting verse 13. Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this word here that's used, that's translated here in this particular version as virgin is the Hebrew word Alma. And there have been some people who've questioned whether Alma is correctly translated as virgin, because in other places in the Bible, it's only used about seven or so times, biblically, uh, other times it's used just translated as young woman. And it can be understood as young woman. And there is other, another word or other words for virgin in Hebrew that are used in the Bible. Um, and so is it appropriate to use it here? Well. He's saying that it's a sign, <laughs> that it's going to be a sign for this king who's being threatened to be attacked, he has, by two other nations. And he's seeking the prophet and seeking help. And God says, ask for a sign. And the king says, no, 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 I'm not going to weary you with asking for a sign. And God rebukes him. I asked you to ask me for a sign. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin, a young woman, is going to give, conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And then the text goes on to say that uh, before the child's even able to, to eat solid food, this, uh, it's going to come to pass that God's going to protect them from these two kings. So in context, yes, it seems that he was talking about a child at that time. Now, not necessarily that the woman would give birth still as a virgin, 
but that she's a virgin at this time. And by the time she gets married, <laughs> she's a young damsel, a young unmarried woman. And by the time, maybe there was a specific woman that he has in, Isaiah had in mind that they were speaking about. And before, by the time she gets married and, and has a child and conceives, in the, and then the nine months uh, period, uh, and has the child, and before the child even uh, gets to the point of eating solid food, uh, deliverance will take place and will come. But it still can mean virgin and still apply as virgin in that sense, but also because virgin is used in other places. Alma is used as virgin in other places in the Bible and has historically been so. For example, going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 24, still with Abraham, back to Abraham, this time when Isaac is grown and Sarah has died and Abraham sends his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. And this text that I'm reading, this quote here, is from uh, the Holy Scriptures, a copy that I have here. Um, my mother gave me this. It's, uh, it's a 1930 version of the Hebrew Publishing Society. So it's just the Tanakh, just the... Uh, the Torah, the writings, and the, the prophets. And it says in this version, the older version, the 1930 version, this text here. This day I came to the well, as Jacob's servant starts telling the story to Laban. This day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So the word here in this text, the Hebrew word in, in the Torah, is Alma. And again, in the older versions, it was translated as virgin. Which makes sense, right? He's, he's not just asking for a young woman. Right? He's asking for a virgin, unmarried woman so that she can marry Isaac, right? So that's what he's coming and looking for. So obviously that's what he meant in his prayer. And so it was translated. Now, though, some modern versions uh, don't translate it as virgin. They translate it as a young woman. But again, in context, he would want it to be a young, unmarried virgin woman for Isaac. Now, not only is it in the older Jewish publications, but the Septuagint, which uh, was translated by uh, rabbis, translating of the Hebrew Bible, uh, by rabbis into Greek back uh, over 2,000 years ago, uh, before the time of the Gospels, before the time of Yeshua, uh, the, was written so that the Greek readers would be able to read the Bible um, in their own language. And they used the Greek word, both in here and in Isaiah uh, 7.14 that we just looked at, that the virgin will give birth, conceive and bear a son. They used the word, the Greek word that's, that's used for virgin. Clearly the Greek word that's used for virgin. So they took that word Alma and they used the Greek word for virgin for both those texts, making it clear that Alma, historically, has been used and understood as virgin at times. So, but is it possible for a virgin to give birth and conceive and bear a child 
Is that possible? With God. And only with God. Without God, is it possible? No. No, right. I don't care what they say next. (laughs) What they say can give birth to children anymore, right? They say anything can give birth to children, I guess. But naturally, biologically, it's impossible for a virgin to give birth to a child. But with God, nothing is impossible. Everything is possible with God. Now, as we look at this text in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, your, to, ma- to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So here he calls uh, Joseph, son of David, whether that was his literal father's name or whether he's referring back to King David, which line he came from, which is interesting because that's what Isaiah said. In Isaiah it said, they called on uh, sons of David, mentioned David in context, and so kind of bringing that back uh, to mind, and uh, says that uh, that Mary, who's a virgin, is going to conceive and bear a son and they'll call his name Yeshua because he's going to save people from their sins. Not just from the punishment of sins, but save us from sin, from the power of sin, from sinning. And Matthew continues on, verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He called his name Yeshua. And so they quote this text out of Isaiah 7, 14, which I kind of wonder, you know, uh, if it wasn't, a miraculous virgin birth. Why would the writer Matthew be recording the history, even highlight it, even mention it? Mark and John don't mention it. Why would Matthew and Luke even mention it, right? If it wasn't something significant, if it wasn't something miraculous, if it was actually a, um, yeah, yeah, a, uh, an immoral situation, a, a, a child out of wedlock situation, they'd be ashamed of it and they wouldn't even mention it. Let's forget about that. Who will even remember 2,000 years from now when, when it's being read? Right? Let's just not even mention it. Let's just gloss over that. But no, he highlights it, not ashamed, because it is real, because it did come to pass, because it is miraculous, because God gets the glory, and it is the fulfillment of prophecy. So while the text in Isaiah 7 does have a localized and in-context application to King Ahaz, it also seems to have a dual prophecy for the Messiah to come as well. And not only uh, uh, can we believe that because Matthew tells us it and because that happens often in the Bible, 
But because in context of Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, not only is there the localized information for King Ahaz, but chapter 8 and chapter 9 talk of a bigger time when the Messiah is going to come and in chapter 9 saying a child will be born from of old uh, and he will be called the mighty father, mighty one of the father, the prince of peace, the, uh, the everlasting God. And so in context of those chapters in Isaiah, we see that God was showing him not just something specifically there for, Isaac, for King Ahaz, but the bigger picture as well. And here, Matthew highlights it. That's interesting, he calls his name Yeshua, as the angel of the Lord told him to do, but yet the prophecy says to call him Emmanuel. So which was right? Should they have called him Emmanuel, or should they have called him Yeshua? Should they have called him God with us, or should they have called him Savior of our sins? One is a name and one is a description, right? Yeah. And both are really descriptions, different descriptions. Right? He is our, the Savior from sins, and he is God with us. Right? He's able to be both. He's able to be much more than that as well. And so he fulfills both. And that's the miracle. And so while back in Isaiah's day and King Ahaz's day, maybe the child was called Emmanuel, but he wasn't Emmanuel. <laughs> Just called Emmanuel. Maybe there was a child by that name. But here he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God tabernacling in the flesh. Is that possible? Is it possible for God to come in flesh? Haven't we been reading that in Abraham? God visited Abraham. God came to him and ate with him and said, Sarah, and said, Sarah, I heard you laugh. Wasn't he in physical form? And didn't he look like a man? Abraham thought he was a man. Yes. With two angels that they thought were men. Gave him a drink and food and ate with them and walked with them and then over towards looking over Sodom. Yes. Yes, it's possible for God to become a man. Because again, we've already seen that over and over again through the scriptures and in the story of Abraham specifically. And so yes, that's not, shouldn't be beyond our imagination when God has done that time and time again. God is able. Now, did we need the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14 to believe that Yeshua was born from a virgin? Did God have to prophesy it before he did it? Not necessarily, right? Yeah. So even if Isaiah 14 only was for King Ahaz, that wouldn't stop God from doing a miraculous birth. Because is it possible for God to do miraculous births? Yes. We know that because he already did it for Sarah. Right? And so to deny that Yeshua came as a miraculous birth, then we have to deny that Sarah gave birth to a miraculous child, Isaac. Right? And so if we can believe that Isaac came from a miraculous birth, then it shouldn't be that much of a jump to believe that Yeshua came in a miraculous way, in a miraculous birth. Doesn't that make sense? Yes. yes. And both for the purpose of testifying that nothing is impossible with God. Now here it mentioned that Yeshua was born from, uh, Joseph is the son of David, and Mary is also from David's line. Now it's very interesting that not only... It's a miraculous birth, God intervening here, God doing the miraculous. 
the Holy Spirit implanting the seed in Mary. Just like the Holy Spirit planted an egg inside Sarah. Just with the divinity there, God with us. Not only does Yeshua track his lineage back to Abraham through David, but also through David, Yeshua tracks his lineage through David's grandfather, great-grandfather, Boaz, but also to his great-grandmother, um, Ruth. And Ruth tracks her lineage in the Mo to Moab, and Moab tracks his lineage to Lot, and Lot's daughter, who got Lot drunk and raped him, committing incest. So Yeshua not only has this divine, miraculous birth, like Isaac, but he also has the lineage of the lowest of the low in his DNA. Not only a child of Abraham, but equally a child of Lot and Lot's daughter. Amazing. Amazing God, God blended there together. And that's what God wants to blend in us. Just as the Isaiah 51 said, out of the wilderness, I'm able to bring forth a garden of God. And even though we, like out of a rock, out of a pit, out of nothingness, out of getting horrible genealogy all the way back to Adam and Eve, God is able to do the miraculous. Even though in us there is no good thing, God is able to instill and put his spirit in us and bring goodness out. God is able to make us like the Eden of the Lord. That's what it's all testifying. That's what it's all showing in all these examples. In Sarah, in Mary, in the lineage from Lot and Abraham, in our own lives, in the prophecy, that God is able to bring forth out of us. He's able to remove the sinful nature, the sinful carnal tendencies. He's able to forgive it and cleanse it and wash it away because he saves us from our sins. He saves us from our carnal nature. He saves us from the curse of Adam and Eve and of Lot and of down through the ages. He saves us and delivers us. He is our Savior, saving us from the history of sin, saving us of the punishment of sin, saving us from the record, blotting it out of our record, blotting it out of our experience, blotting it out of our mind, blotting it out of our character, and delivering us from sin, and giving us victory over sin. A God who's more than just able to forgive, but a God who's able to transform. A God who's able to change and make all things new, deserts into wilderness. I mean, deserts into Garden of the Lord, wilderness is into Eden, and he's able to change and transform and make it bloom and flower and give life. That's the miracle of God. That's the power. Again, greater than a miracle of a virgin birth or of an old age birth, bigger than parting of Red Seas or anything else, is God creating in us. God cleansing our sins, removing them us, 
removing from us, delivering us from the power that sin has had over us. The habits, the tendencies, the, the attitudes, the nature, the thoughts, the negativity, the fears, the worries, the cares. He's able to deliver us and set us free. And give us faith and hope and trust and joy and gladness. That's the power of the Lord working in and through us. That's the message of the whole entire Bible. From Genesis all the way through. We entered into sin, but God delivers us out of it. That's his handiwork. That's his miracle that he does in our lives. And so as we think on these things personally and apply them to our lives, is there some area in your life, some area that God's been speaking to you? Maybe there's an area that you've been waiting a long time for. There have been promises of God that you've been claiming and claiming and claiming. And you need faith to continue to hold on and wait upon the Lord. In a moment when we pray, ask God to strengthen your faith, to give you more faith, to build up trust in him, and to wait upon him. Secondly, if these texts have helped to remind you that God is faithful, and you're willing to judge him faithful, who has promised, you're willing to take him at his word, trust in his promises, then a moment when we pray, lay hold of some promise in his word, some area in your life. Stretch out, reach out to him, and lay hold of that promise. And determine, make your decision sure that God is faithful, that you can rely on him. Put all your weight upon him. Not in our own trust, not in our own strength, not in our own understanding, not what makes sense, but what God says. Third, if there's some area in your life Maybe some sin, maybe some doubt, maybe some situation like Lot or Lot's daughter or some other type of sin in your life. And you need a savior. You need forgiveness. You need cleansing. You need the washing away of sins. Maybe some habit, some tendency, something you know is not right. You want to be delivered from it once and for all. And not just forgiven, but taken away, taken out of you, removed out of you, placed into Yeshua, and killed. In full deliverance. Then the moment when we pray, give it over to him. Let go of it. Stop holding on. Let go. Give it to him. Let him take it. And accept by faith he's already taken it because he's already done it. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's already done. Accept it by faith and judge him faithful, thank him for the deliverance, and claim the deliverance, and claim the promise of newness of life. If God is calling you to testify of him, to tell others of laughter, to tell others of what he's done in your life, to tell others of the joy that he's given you, of the peace that he's given you, there's someone God's bringing to your mind he's calling you to testify to, Tell of his goodness. Then a moment we pray. Ask him to go before you, to move upon that person's heart and mind, 
to move on your heart and mind and to give you strength and boldness and tact and love to share God's goodness with them. So if those areas apply to you, that God work, and maybe there's some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about this week. Maybe you've doubted the Messiahship of Yeshua. But here tonight, you're ready to accept him as your Savior. You're willing to accept the Bible testimony regarding him. You believed that God did it for Abraham and Sarah, but you've doubted that he was able to do it for Mary and Yeshua. But now you choose to believe. And if you want to accept him as your Savior, as your Messiah, accept God's miracle. Accept him as God with you. In a moment when we pray, accept him. Say, God, I, cho I choose to accept you. I choose to believe. If you're going through an area in your life, maybe a wilderness experience, maybe a desert experience, maybe an emptiness, and you're needing to know that God is with you. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So he is here. He is with you. But if you need the eyesight to see, the faith to believe, the moment when we pray, ask God to give you the faith to believe that he is Emmanuel for you that he is here with you, that he is God with you, that he has never left you, that he has never forsaken you. Even through the troublesome times, he was there receiving the troubles with you, receiving the pain with you, crying with you. And he will comfort you and help you and see you through to the Garden of Eden all over again, to the new heavens and new earth, where this world of sin will be done away with and all things will be made new. If any of those areas apply to you, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you, Lord, for your miracles your daily miracles, the miracle of life, the miracle of breath. Thank you also for the huge miracles that remind us of your power, working in Sarah, working through her, bringing forth life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for working in our lives in many unseen ways. Continue your work. Thank you that you've promised to be with us. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you've promised to save us from our sins. Thank you for removing our sins from us and taking them into yourself. Thank you for being able to relate to us in your birth, being born from a genealogy of Lot. Thank you for being willing to give us your spirit so that we can also partake of your divine power and live that in us and through us, through your spirit. Work that miracle in us as well. Bring forth your garden in our lives. And may it be beautiful for others and a blessing to others and use us in drawing others to know you and love you as well. Give us faith, increase our faith, 
in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.